0: Couch
1: wisdom. Uh, Couch wisdom. Uh, hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. We weren't sure what to expect when we invited Alex Toomey to Montreal in 2016 for a lecture at the academy. We knew of his work, he's the sound engineer for Young Thug, 21 Savage, and a host of Atlanta rappers that basically run commercial radio these days. But he's a behind-the-scenes guy, not someone that talks all that much, in public at least. Once he sat down with Roly Pemberton on the couch, though, it was incredible story after incredible story. If you have any interest in hip-hop these days, you'll want to make some time for this one just to hear the story about the time he met Kanye. If you want to learn more about the academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now though, enjoy this bit of
0: couch wisdom. Here we have Alex Toume. How's it going y'all? You're mainly known for uh, you know music in Atlanta, but um you are originally from Queens. Yeah, I was born in Queens, like grew up in Queens in the Bronx,
2: like, Jamaica Queens. Grandma was, was in the Bronx. I grew up there. That's actually kind of where I kind of started listening to hip-hop, listening on the street. A lot of Dominican music also, so, like, a little different, but, like... And then... From what age did you did you live in, in New York, like... till I was 10 years old. Okay. So, like, not, like, the formative years. My formative years were in a really terrible place. Called Florida. Called Florida. And then I lived there until I was out of college and... The first thing I did was go to Atlanta.
0: So when did you have the kind of like eureka moment, like, oh, music, like, I want to so do this?
2: I had flunked out of college three times, and I moved back home, I think I was 20, and I was like working at a restaurant, doing like promotion stuff, like dropping, I mean dropping off flyers at, rest, at other restaurants <laughs> and like businesses. And the kids that I was working with were in a band, so we used to jam out after work. And then I went to his house, and he had a laptop rig with a couple of mics and like like one of the like fast track m audios or something like that. And I just sat down and like started messing with Logic, played a couple of things, and I was like, "Oh, this is a whole like career. This whole thing. Like, I like it just never really clicked for me that like that could have been what I did because I didn't find myself to be like." especially talented musician, like, I played my whole life, but I never really, like, wanted to be on stage or wanted to be in front of people or wanted to be in a band, but all I did was listen to music. Like, everything I ever did revolved around music, and I was just kind of, like, sat there, and I was like, all right, this, this could work. I could sit in a room, ain't nobody got, I don't have to be on stage, it's not really working out right now, but, like, I don't have to be in front of people, I don't have to do anything, I could just make and help create something awesome
0: through this. And so you decided to go to school for music? Yeah, I enrolled in Full Sail the next day. And, and, and where is Full Sail for people who don't know? Where, where is that located? It's in Orlando, Florida. Okay. So you're in music school in Orlando. What yeah. was that like? It's a cultural haven. They have stuff like Disney World and <laughs> Suburban Sprawl
2: and Olive Gardens. So, like, there's a lot
0: of inspiration there. What did going to music school teach you? Like what did you learn there that you didn't know before? I mean, they taught me all the basics to
2: like how everything works, signal flow, all the technical aspects. But they really never taught, like, I don't think you can teach how to mix. I like There was not part of it. But they also kind of like didn't tell you that like when you leave, you're going to be at the ground level. You're not going to come in, and you're not going to be like star engineer day one. No one's, like, the day you walk into the studio, no one's going to be like, hey, come in sit in this chair, record this dude, mix this album, do all that, it's like, come in, clean these toilets, go on this food run, like wrap these cables up, and then like in six months we'll talk. One thing I learned, I guess one of my teachers like the first month was super honest about it. He was like, y'all at best might come out and be assistants. At worst, you're gonna be like unable to find anything and end up at Guitar Center. And he's like, that's the range for 99.9% of you. And once he told me that, like, I started looking for internships while I was in school. I applied to like a whole bunch of like stage internships because I wanted to do movies and video game sound originally. It wasn't really music. And then I was telling you yesterday, the thi- like the, the moment for me was when I heard "Meriwether um, Post Pavilion" by Animal Collective. I was like blown away by the production and the and the engine- the way it sounded. I was like, how do you get from zero? music at all to that. And it's like experimental, but it's a pop album. It's really just like pop music to me at least.
0: And so that led you towards Ben Allen? Yeah, I was looking for him,
2: but I didn't know he was at the studio that I applied to. So Which I, was May's studio? Yeah, it was Milk Money Consulting and Maze Studios and Solitaire were in it. Solitaire was CeeLo's studio and May's was Ben's. And I went in there. It said Milk Money Consulting. I was like, I'm about to go like work for a consulting firm? Like, what is this? And I walked in, and he was like, and Brad McDonald, who is the manager, one of the managers there, was like, oh, here, let me show you around. This is Ben Allen's studio. I was like, excuse me? What? I didn't know he was in Atlanta. Like, I didn't know any of that. I was visiting my like, ex-girlfriend
0: at the time, and I was like,
2: I'm just going to go look at studios. I went for a weekend, and
0: I never left until, yeah. What kind of things were you, were you doing? in the studio? It
2: was mostly assisting for like the first, I think, well right off the bat, like like I was saying, like they told you you're going to have to go be an intern and like the first day I went in there like I wanted to make a good impression and I literally like took everything apart in the studio and like cleaned the whole studio like top to bottom. Like there's like curtains that hadn't been moved in years and like went behind them and like like scrubbing the walls like my hands and knees doing all this stuff and I was like I'm gonna make sure that they notice me because it's like they told me day one they're like you're not gonna get a job here you're just gonna intern you're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna leave and I was like yeah I'm not gonna listen to you that's co- I'm like I'm like that's cool that you say that and like day one Ben pulled me into the room I was like come sit in on this session like and like I just like gravitated to that so obviously gravitated to that situation and like just sat in all the time. I would clean, do all the stuff I need to do, sit in on his sessions, and then whoever was in CeeLo's room would start at 10 p.m. or later. So I'd be there from 8 a.m. until 8 a.m., four or five days a week.
0: So you're, you're working on these uh, kind of like indie-ish records by day, mm-hmm. and you're starting to work on rap music by night, right? Yeah. So before that, how familiar were you with, with rap music around this time period? like In Atlanta, yeah, not so much. Yeah. Like
2: I would listen and I would go to shows and I would be around, but like, it was like a completely new thing. Cause I actually moved to Atlanta, the first internship I got with that one was a television one. So I was working on like TNT Latin America and just doing like Spanish television. <laughs> and then doing like, so I had like both internships back and forth and then like I started getting introduced, like Bangladesh came through. And obviously he's like an amazing producer and like produced a yeah a Lemonade like just to name a, few, a couple but like he's and he works constantly he's constantly like if he's not at the studio at night then he's some he's like flying out of the, out of the state to go work in like L A and then comes back at night and it's like just make, sleep on the plane or something like that and I was just like watching him work and watching him like bring all these like artists in and do all these tracks on the spot he's like he's old school like it's like MPC. In, straight in the Pro Tools, like he wasn't like FL Studio until later. Like later, he started like to bring in like the digital side, the, the more like DAW side of it. But like he really knew like the hardware, and that's what he used. He used like a Phantom and an NPC, and that cycle like, was his sound. And like, what, what kind of things were you helping him with? I mean, that back in the day, it's like mostly wiring the studio, setting all this stuff up, making it easy for him to produce, helping him like like, run stuff down into Pro Tools and get the beats in. And he usually had an engineer at that point, but it was, like, he would bring me in at night, like, because the engineer would be, like, exhausted and leave, because so it would be, like, four-day-long sessions. And right. The engineer would be, like, I can't do this anymore, and, like, get up and leave, and then he'd be, like, Alex, can you just record
0: for, like, the, the night? That's, so like, when I started getting, like, recording gigs, and, like, started working a little bit more. So around that time, how how many hours a day were you working? Between... Just there? Like, like, like doing, doing work with Ben Allen during the day and sometimes like night session as well. Well, I was doing like 80 hours there. And then I had the
2: other internship. And then I had my job, which isn't really a job. We talked about that. Right? <laughs> but yeah. And then I like, so like I, I, I can talk about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I worked at like, I dealt poker at like an illegal underground game for money and I used to play like on the side and that's how I like paid for my internship was playing poker because I needed money and I didn't want to like work a nine to five ever.
0: Uh, So um, did you ever talk to Ben Allen? About yeah, all that? the time. Yeah? yeah, all the time. But you know, there came a point where, you, you know, you had to eventually, your, your work with Ben Allen would cease. How, yeah. how did that happen? So me and my two best friends
2: in Atlanta were... His assistants for two and a half years straight, and it came a time where he was like, "Y'all aren't progressing." We were, we didn't care. We were like making amazing records, hanging out with our, with your best friends. We loved Ben, his main engineer, is Jason Kingsland. He's like a great engineer. We're all just, we're all just like watching him and learning, and we're like making awesome music. So we didn't care that we were making like zero dollars, you know. And he pulls us aside one day. He's like, "I kind of have some news." It's like. I want to move to like a one assistant system in one month. So one of you guys is gonna be my assistant in a month and the other two of you have to go. So a month goes by and like I got a, like my main thing in the studio is like I got along with the bands really well. Like we'd all go out at night, we'd all hang, we would all like we all still friends, like I really love those guys and like that was kind of what I thought was my like strongest characteristic when it came to music at the time. Like I knew I could mix, I knew I could record, but like I felt like the interpersonal skills really like set me apart. But Sumner Jones, who's another one of the interns there, is like a tech genius. Like he can fix anything in like 10 minutes. If you have $500,000 worth of gear, like who are you gonna pick? The guy who like gets wasted with your clients? (laughs) Or the guy who could make sure you never have to spend money on on a tech, so he won. And I was out of a job. So I'm just sitting there for like a week and my manager at the time, Monica Tanian, she goes, You want to take over DARP, which is Dallas Austin's studio in Atlanta. And it's like where they did like TLC Boys to Men, all these like legendary like late nineties or early nineties R and B records. And it's like, Absolutely I do. And she's like, Go check it out you'll see if you like it, go check it out. And I was like, No, no, I just give me the job. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't have a job, <laughs> like, I'll take it, like. Um, so I go up there, and I think Dallas is still the owner when I go up there, but it turns out that these um, this couple from Tennessee had bought the studio from Dallas and had taken over and wanted to make it a hip-hop studio. All, at that point, Dallas' studio hadn't been used that much, and like, the consoles were all gutted, and like, I think a year before I started there, one of like, the SSL caught on fire. So they basically hired me to rewire the whole studio for like the new age of hip hop, which is like a PC or a, a MacBook Pro, and one mic pre, one compressor, that's it. So rewired the whole studio, gutted the thing. This The studio owners wanted to bring in the young Atlanta rappers, so what they did was they let the producers come in and produce during the day when nobody was running the studio. So, like, an 18-year-old Metro Boomer was in there, like young Southside, young TM, young Sonny, like all these kids, like, and then they didn't have an engineer. And I wasn't technically the engineer, I was the house tech, and I like managed the interns, like that was it. And then the Metro one day comes in he's like, this dude's kicked out six engineers. Like all the dudes you keep sending in. What, like, what's, what's the problem? He, they're not fast enough he's like they can't keep up with him he's pissed off he's gonna hurt one of them <laughs> like and they're like you haven't had a problem just try it and I walk in and they go to American Deli which I don't know if you know what that is it's like a wings wing spot in Atlanta if you drive there and come back it's maybe 10 minutes they leave and by the time they come back we finish the song which is the first song and Thug had ever done I didn't see him I had headphones on because he likes to record with headphones. So I had headphones on. He's in the booth. The booth is pitch black. By the time I'm done recording and I'm like comping and like putting everything together, he's gone. I didn't see him for the first three songs we did. And they came back from American Deli. He's gone. They had all they had just gotten food. They're like looking back and forth like, yo, where is he? And I play the song. They're like, okay. Well, holy shit. He's like, right there.
0: Yeah. So when you... Um continued recording with Thug, and you actually saw him in the studio. You yeah. visually saw him. Um, I, I've heard rumors about him, like, drawing on a piece of paper, drawing pictures and stuff. That. You never saw that? No. I never saw him, like, touch a piece of paper. <laughs>
2: I've never seen him write. I've never seen him. I think maybe he wrote, like, like, a, like something to, like, tell somebody once and, like, hand that to them. Like. But he doesn't write. He doesn't write in the booth. He doesn't. He walks in, he raps, and that's it. And you better be ready. Because he's, his sense of timing is so, and like, sometimes he wants to start before the song starts. So he'll be like, all right, just pick an arbitrary point before the song. He hears it once. He's like, all right, start it again from that point. Hits record. And it's like 100% on beat with no click, no lead in. Like, it's just an arbitrary, like, I don't know, 16.387 seconds. Like, literally, he's like, just pick up random time. I'm like, no, I'll put it on the grid. He's like, I don't care. So I just move it, and like, raps, and it's constantly on beat. Constantly, like, if any time you hear him rap, like, before the beat starts on a song, where it's, like, him talking first, that's him just doing it. Like, he has, like, the craziest sense of timing. He can hear, like, a half a millisecond. Like, I'll nudge something, at, like, a millisecond, who he be like, what'd you just do? I'm like, excuse me? What? He's like, yeah, what did you just do? I'm like, I moved it back a little He's like, move it back. I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> that's not what I wanted. It's like,
0: some like, I don't know. His ears are insane. Would you have ever get in like arguments about like little things like that? Yeah, like, all the time. Yeah. I mean,
2: we're on the same page creatively for most of the stuff. It's just mix changes after he leaves the booth, as far as like if I put like harmonies on something, like, I use a harmony engine a lot. Like if I do something like that and I don't do it before he leaves the booth, so you say like while he's recording or like delays or like anything like that. So all my delay throws, all that stuff is being done. Like I have like the track open and I'm like drawing him in while he's recording because, or like I'll, on the track he's not recording on, obviously, but like while he's recording because if it's there and he hears it later, it's different to him now. It's a different song. You've messed with the essence of the song So, like, I had to get really fast at, like, dropping plugins in and, like, say I was doing, like, harmonies or something like that. I'd have to, like, in my head hear them and be like, okay, I want to do, like, the octave, the fifth, and the third or something like that, or just the octave and the third. And I would draw them in and, like, put them and just hope that it was right because if it's not right the first time, it's coming out and it's never going back in. So, like, there's songs like Halftime where it's, like, where he's, like, talking about, like, hey, let's have a good time. All those were in. Like, I'd put them in on a track. Before he even recorded it, I just dropped him down and I just like crossed my fingers and it worked. And I
0: was like, thank God. Because I was like. <laughs> that, and that's become like a big part of his sound. Yeah. So, w- when, how did you think to do that? I guess it was literally like randomly on a song.
2: I was like, this, I was like, he never does stacks, it's always one take. He might like harmonize once every so often, but I really think it would bring a lot more to the song to like melodically, because he's got such great melodies and he's got such great cadences, like put something else in there. And I just like, I remember messing around with the Harmony Engine when I was an intern and I just like pulled it up, put it on a track, like put it in the key. Do you remember what song? It was the first Rich Gang song ever. And Bird came into the studio didn't like it at all because it didn't have a console, didn't know me. Doug was like vouching for me. A few of the people were vouching for me, but he's like, I don't care. Like this studio is like a trap studio. It's like music good music can't come out of here, basically. I mean, we had mains, we had like Osbergers, all that, like, but we didn't have a console, and he's like, I hate this studio. And like Doug was like, just give it one day. And we did one song that day. And it was just that song I'm talking about, where I just threw it on a like, guest and it worked. And all I did was high harmonies. All I did was, like, an octave. And I was just like, that has to work, right? Like, it's just an octave. It's the same freaking note. Like, it's not going to mess it up. So I put that in, and then I threw in, like, another one. I put it really low so he didn't notice. And Bird came back in the studio and was like, call your up. I was like, why? And he's like, because I want the studio for 90 days straight. And he booked every single room for, like, the next three or four months, like, on the spot. And I was like, well, well I guess my next... 90 days are decided for me. And that's when like the Rich Gang stuff started. It was like, just like that. It started with Thug, and then, like the next day, Thug brought Quan in, and like, they never left. We were like living there
0: again. And so during the recordings for, for the Rich Gang album, it, would, would you consider the Rich Gang to be the most culturally important record that you've been involved with? Yeah, by far, because it
2: changed people's perception of the Atlanta rappers, too. Like, it, they didn't think that they could put together something like that. And they did easily. Like, the first week, we did 75 or 76 songs. And that's just me and Thug. Like, I'm not counting the ones that like Kwan and Justin did in the other room. Like, that's literally just what I recorded. I mean, Kwan was on the ones with Thug, too, but that's like my room, not the other room. So it had to be in the hundreds, you know? And
0: the, the studio was where? Atlanta. And which, which studio was this? DARP. So this Darp. was in DARP still. Yeah. So, Rich Gang, it took place in DARP. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Except so, for Lifestyle, which they did in Miami. Right. But other than that, every other song was there. So, you know, that the, the Rich Gang album comes out. You know, we, we get into Barter Six, you know, but ar- around the time of that, that album's release, um, the leak happens. There's a massive leak of all the sessions from the Rich Gang recording sessions. Um, and you take to Reddit and made a big statement. And I want to actually quote directly from your statement. Um, I don't do this for the money. I do it because I care greatly about making something new and unique, making my clients' music better, making quality-sounding music in a genre that change it, slash experimentation, slash sonics, often become an afterthought in. I want to change the world of rap music, and the less these songs are heard, the less of an impact they will make. So, what, why did you feel the need to make this statement? So, it was like April or March, something like that, right? Something like that.
2: Um, that's like the worst day of my life. Because the. the How did you hear? Well, my phone looked like. Because you know how, like, you get, like, messages and things. I'd, I could scroll, and it just sort of went on forever from, like, all my friends, like, you, and all the people, like, all the internet notifications, all that, like, yo, what's going on, man? It's, a, it's, it's 40, it's 60, it's 100. And I'm like, what do you mean? 40, 40 what? Uh, what's happening now? And, like, I w- got out of bed. It's like, I just left a session. It was, like, 11 a.m. or something like that. I'm ready to go back to work. And, like, I didn't go until, like... They were like, go to work. I'm like, no, you guys can wait outside for a few hours. I just need to collect myself. And like, there there was a smaller leak before it, like a ten song leak, where somebody called it the tour part two. Right. But they were, I. It's not that I saw it coming, but like there were songs from randomly throughout the thing. So I was like, whoever hacked whatever email that they hacked, picked and chose these songs because they're not chronological at all. And I kind of like was worried, and I was hitting the label. I was like, "Guys, we gotta like let's put something out because we have to." So I'm, i feel this is not the end of this. Like, where did the, who hacked what? Like where, whatever. Cause I, whenever I send anything, I wipe like everything I sent. Like so, it's like you have it, I don't have it anymore. It's not off me. Like you know what I mean? It'll never come. I destroy files that aren't on a hard drive, no matter what, every time. And I was like trying to figure it out. I went like. Into this like internet investigator mode, where like went on like Kanye to the, cause that's where a lot of it came from, is like those sites and like or a lot of it was perpetuated. I don't want to say it came from there, but like they shared it with everybody, and somebody from there dropped the zip file for everyone. And I like went in and I was talking to the kids, and like some of the, like the kids saw my message, and they were like deleting their own posts from the internet, like. And I was I was like in awe because like all the posts that were on Reddit that's cause that's where I really saw that people were sharing it that's why I posted it there because a the whole front page of the hip hop Reddit was like the leaks it was like four pages of it and I was like y'all please stop like just stop for a second because like you keep sharing this, this stuff's never gonna happen these albums are never gonna happen you're listening to a huge chunk of it like all at once don't you want it to come out finished like these are unfinished songs. Like, don't you want to hear them one day? Like, for real? Don't you want these guys to, like, make a rich gang the tour part two and make it an album and then tour off it and, like, everything would be, like, copacetic forever? Because that's what would have happened. And I was like, y'all just took that away by being greedy. And, like, because, like, all it took, all it would have taken is, like, the 10 people who got it first or whatever to just not, just not, just don't do that. It's like. Because you're not sharing something that's
0: finished. You're not sharing the artist's intentions. You're sharing something you stole. So, did you ever like uh, concretely determine how they were leaked? I have like, <laughs>
2: theories. Because like somebody sent me an email chain where it came from somebody I know's email, and I was like, okay, so it's got to be him. Like, went in question. It was like, no, I sent it to this person. And it was somebody in the camp. And it came from that. And it's like you looked on the chain, and it's like there's a point where it like fans out. And I'm like that sort. Like I think somebody's left their email open that it was sent to, which is like obviously do not ever send anything via email. That was. But we were making so much music that handing it off on hard drives became impossible. People are like, no, I need it now. Put it on my phone now. So I'm like loading these phones up, and I have a stack of phones like this. Because you know, Bird's got however many phones. Doug has four phones. <laughs> Like and I'm just like guys, this is gonna take me as long as it took to record all this music, to load your phones up. Can we figure out something better? Like I wanted to get them like something better, and it just like it was such a hectic time that it just came down to like you have to email it to us. You have to, and I was like, this is not gonna end well, which I was right. But like somebody's email got hacked from that hacked or left open around somebody that they shouldn't that they thought they could trust that they shouldn't have trusted. Is what happened.
0: But, you know, I feel like with you making the statement and people like taking down all the links, I feel like this was a real like bellwether moment for in, in kind of Internet piracy of rap albums, because especially f- with mixtapes, there's this expectation uh, that, oh, yeah, we like deserve all these free albums, you know, and it's like there's this kind of like. Like, we deserve it, or something. And, but then, you know, they see that there's people like you but the, who are working behind the scenes and like working really hard on this music, and it kind of put a face to it, you know? And I, I feel like that was like a really important moment.
2: I immediately regretted posting that <laughs> for one reason, one reason alone is like articles started getting written about it, and it brought more attention to the situation. And like, people were like, what do you mean leaks where? And I was like, no. Like, that was my mentions for the rest of the day. Was like, What leaks where? I was like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> so like, I, like, I, mean, I left it up because the message was the message. I had to leave it up. I stood by that message, which is like, I, at the time, was not making a lot of money. Like, I was working a lot, but like, I didn't know that engineers could charge a certain amount. I didn't want to charge a certain amount. I charged a flat rate because I wanted to make something cool. I knew with the amount of hours we were working, that nobody would pay one engineer that amount to just be there 24-7. That's an insane, like, four months 24-7. Like, what label's going to be like, yeah, that's fine. I believe that. No, I was there 24-7. I would take a nap. Like, there's so many sessions where, like, I would be there. Like, Bird would be kicked up. Like, he'd have his feet kicked up, like, falling asleep. Doug would be in the chair, like, in the booth, like, half past out rapping. And I would just be, like, asleep on the desk and like wake up the next morning and then just hit record again and he starts rapping again. Like that really happened. That happened on that happened on Skyfall. Like he was like, he showed up at like five, six a.m. and was like half asleep and like it took the, it was like one of the longest times it ever took us to record a verse because he was like nodding off and I was nodding off. And then I eventually, ha- I eventually had to go get an intern to sit next to me and hit me every time I fell asleep. <laughs>
0: like literally had to punch me every time because I'd be like, I can't. I can't stay up anymore. So I'd like to actually talk about your your work with Travis Scott. Yeah. Um, so w- was was Travis in the studio with Thug for for those sessions? Or those
2: whatever? sessions happened in the same day. Like the Travis. Travis and- booked the morning. Like they were like, we're not. We can't book you, Travis. Like we can't. Like Rich Gang has taken the whole city. He's like, what about between one and five? Which they always showed up at like four or five p.m. And they're like, okay. And they're like, Alex, get up here. I'm like, I just left. I literally left at like 10 a.m. that morning. And they call me at like 11, like Travis on the way, come up. I'm like, I'm so tired. Please don't make me do this. And like, obviously I got up. But I got there like a little later. I let my assistant do the beginning. And he was like working. And he did, I think he recorded that backyard freestyle. Because I mixed that one when I showed up. And then... There's that, I don't know if you, any of you have seen the video of like the making of Skyfall. There's like a video online of like all of us in the studio. It's like Metro hooking up the beat and then Travis is in the room over my shoulder and he likes to, like to rap in the room at the time. So he'd be like, he's like literally like closer than you are to me like rapping over my shoulder and I have headphones on and I'm recording and then like breaking down the beat and like all that is happening. He, they, he lays the hook and all like the background vocals and then like a scratch verse and then Thug comes in and like it's like I'm gonna do that later tonight, but then we did like you know the Rich Gang stuff. So we did like a bunch of Rich Gang stuff after that. Travis leaves. We do all the Rich Gang stuff. It's like now 6 a.m. or whatever, and I'm falling asleep because I haven't slept in like
0: three days. Your sky falling asleep. Yeah, yeah.
2: And he hits the the line that he has in the song, the first line he has, and like I'm like oh okay, this is gonna be crazy. And then I fall you know,
0: right back asleep. <laughs> and you fall back asleep, yeah. but briefly wakes you up. Yeah, uh, and then I—I I mean, it's another
2: song where it's like immediately we we're all like, "This is going to be a smash. This is going to be something important. Maybe not a hit, but it's just like this is an honest, important song." And it's like one of my favorites ever.
0: Were you, you were you in LA for some of the sessions too? Did you do that at all for this? For, for you, some of the Travis Scott stuff you did for Rodeo? Oh, for Rodeo. After.
2: Rodeo. We went to LA. And I was originally picked to mix that album, and then obviously, if Mike Dean comes calling, I have nothing against. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> but I, rec- I ended up recording and like doing a lot of like rough mixing and a lot of like vocal production and stuff like that on the album. So like, it was awesome to like work with him. Like it was cool to like get feedback from him too on like what he thought about like what had I had done up until that point. But yeah, that was my first time ever being flown anywhere for anything, because I was like. I literally lived in that studio. Because this, this is when I quit DART, was for Rodeo. Mm-hmm. I was like, the Rich Gang stuff's not happy anymore. It seems like I can like, freelance. And Thug asked me to do Part of Six, and Travis asked me to come to LA for Rodeo. And I was like, all right. I didn't know that I would ever, like, to back it up a little, my thought process about music was, I'm going to be poor forever, but I'll make some cool shit. Like I literally was like, I'll make twenty five grand a year, and like you know live in a one bedroom apartment, and then you know die alone with some cool tracks. Like that's like what I was thinking the whole time, and like literally like I was dating a girl, and she was like a lawyer, like had like her life together, and I'm like interning like it's in, like. Playing poker and like doing all this shit. And she's like, get your shit together, like do something else. I'm like, nah, I got this. This is gonna be good. And then, so what I'm thinking is, I'm gonna make like $15, $20 an hour. And then like somebody's like, yo, we're gonna fly you to LA and we're gonna put you up in Beverly Hills in this in Seals producer's house at the top of the hills. And it's gonna be like, you, Metro, TM, Wonder Girl, um, Travis Scott, Alan Ritter, FKI was there. A whole bunch of people were there. And y'all just gonna live there for a month or two months.
0: And like, just, Make a record. So tell me how that came to be. You becoming the Young Thugs DJ. Because had you DJed before? No, I still don't know how to DJ. (laughs) I DJed for for like six months, and like I kind of
2: started getting it. And like I mean, being like a hip hop DJ, it's like you yell into the microphone and you play dope songs, and then you yell into the microphone some more. Like at least that you can get by doing that. You don't have to be like the dude who's like going back and forth and like doing all this like blending and all that. Like you just didn't have to. Like I thought I did. I tried and then like I would do it and like people would be like kinda not feeling it. And then like when I would open for him and just like play songs I thought were like hype and just like jump into the crowd. People would go way crazier. Like it would just be like, all right, cool, I'll just do that. But the first time I ever dj was a Lollapalooza in front of like seventy five hundred people. And I have like terrible stage fright. Like I can't like look at people. I can't like this is crazy. This is insane right now for me, like like that I'm doing this now. But like I the first like I don't know, five times I went up, I would unplug the mic and then just act really mad that the mic wasn't working when I, was, I like pretend to talking to it and be like, Come on guys, like what are you doing? They're like how are we doing this? Like this is what are we not professionals? And then just like play the songs and like not move and act real upset about it and like <laughs> That's how I got by like DJing. But, but like the first time I did it, he tricked me. He tricked me in the for forum. Like he like was like, You wanna go to Lollapalooza? And like Paul McCartney's headlining. I'm like, absolutely I wanna go see Paul McCartney in Chicago live. <laughs> yes. And like I'm like, but i like it was the next day. We were on the first day and I was like, I'm just gonna stay, I'll just like find a place to crash or whatever. Like I have some friends up there, like I'm not leaving. So just give me a one-way ticket and I'll go to New York or something after. And so he got me a ticket and like we're there and we're all hanging out. And I made a show mix for him every time he had a show. Before that, like because he used to travel, I would just like give him a USB drive and be like, "Here you go, that's for the show." And he, I'm like, go to hand somebody the USB drive when he's about to be on stage, and I'm like sober, like we've been hanging all day, like I've been eating, like backstage. Um, I worked with Walk of the Moon back in the day, and like they were there, so like, I was like hanging out with them. I was like, "Oh, like happy go lucky." He's like, "Oh, look at all my friends, this is amazing." Like, and then he's like, "No, what are you doing? Who are you trying to hand that to?" You're going up there. I'm like, what? Like, excuse me. He's like, yeah, I didn't bring a DJ, and they don't have one here. So, like, you. I'm like, dude, I didn't bring my laptop. I don't have anything. I don't like. I can't play. So, like, I literally like at Lollapalooza, take the tour manager's laptop. This is 2015. From 2007, it's like the 17-inch MacBook Pro, the one that they haven't made in ever. Like, they made that one one year, and it's got all his like tour management like stuff. Up, Like so there's like 50 programs up of like stuff like of like like spreadsheets and stuff like that And I'm like you couldn't close some tabs so like I'm trying to like open iTunes to aux DJ Like live and I have it just like going in here So I have a like, control of the fader and like that's it and like I'm shaking so bad that like I couldn't press the space bar so like I press play on one song and I run off stage and I run to the bar. Like I see the bar out of the corner of my eye and I hop a fence and like, the, like everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy and I like hop a fence and I grab like six beers and then like I'm like, it's it's like backstage, it's free and I'm like, And she's like, you get one. I'm like, no, I'm going to need more. I'm like, don't you see what I'm doing right now? I'm like, I'm not supposed to be up there. And like, so I get like a, like a big glass and I'm like, what do you have like liquor wise? And she's like, oh, I think I have vodka. I hate vodka. And like, I'm like, just fill the glass up. And so I just like hold my nose and like chug it. And I go back up there and like my hand steadies enough so I can like press play. And like by the end, I'm like kind of chilling, like dancing a little bit again, like my mic's unplugged and I'm like, I'm not doing this. It's like the crowd goes like, Way beyond what you can see, because he wasn't on like a main stage, but like he's a, he was a big deal. So like people like left the main stage and they're just like forever, that goes back forever. There's like I just couldn't believe it. I was like, why am I up here? Like, why would I ever be up here? But his daughter was there, so I was like hanging out with his daughter, like picked her up and I was like like using her to distract myself from like the crowd. And I was like holding just like a baby, like DJing. <laughs> like, and that's like that was the first time, and I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, I was like, I pulled up inside, I'm like, dude, this is like terrifying. I was like, the last thing I ever wanted to do was be in front of people. And then he was like, he like, took out like a wad of cash and just like, without counting he just like grabbed like a, like a handful of hundreds and like gave it to me, I was like, maybe I could do this a couple more times. It's like, and then like, I kind of like, I didn't do it for a while, and then they were like, we're going to Europe. And I've never traveled like, for leisure, like I just never like had the money or the time. Like it was one or the other. It's like you're going to Paris. We're going to Like, so you need a DJ, like, because I'll figure this out. And like, we did like a show in Finland and we did a show in Copenhagen. And like, I wasn't talking. I wasn't doing anything. And then like, I was sober for the rest of this stuff. I was just like, I'm just gonna get on stage. I'm gonna move my shoulders a little bit, and I'm gonna like, I'm gonna drop it. And I'm not gonna say anything. I did the whole unplugging the mic thing. There's one show where BLB is like, you got to go crazier because fans aren't doing anything. They're not going, they're not do, you're not opening. You're just going out there when he goes out there. He's like, do 25 minutes opening. Just pick your favorite songs and play them. I'm like, all right. That sounds terrifying. Like, you want me to perform now. Like, not just play <laughs> stuff. You want me to perform. And he's like, yeah, just get wasted. And so I go into the tour manager. I'm like, I need a bottle of Jameson on my tour rider. And I was like, how much Jameson could it take to get me on stage to do this? <laughs> cut to like an hour later, like the bottle's empty and I'm like losing my mind, like jumping into the crowd, like all this stuff, like, like it's there's a video in Copenhagen where I'm like literally just like running and like sprinting and like jumping into the crowd. And I just didn't care, I was like hit play on like Dirty Sprite 2 and I just ran in. <laughs> and then like, you know, slowly but surely like figured out like a little bit and like started, to, well I'm an engineer so like I would cut the songs together ahead of time. <laughs> I'd like have like three songs in a row. I'd be like press play once. Like they all blend and they're all like, and I would just like go up there and like
0: pretend, and it. I mean, it worked. So around that same this time period of when Slime Season was coming out, yeah. it was kind of kind of a weird period for Thug because he got arrested by the going to Linux Square Mall. Thank God I wasn't there that day
2: because I have all the files. That's right. And They raided his house and they took everything. They took the compute. They took the computer. They took somebody else's. They took like Weezy was like, up there making beats. They took his laptop. They took everything. And I'm like sitting at home and it's one of those days. Just like the other day, where was like, "Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Like, <laughs> are you home? Do you have the files? Like, what's going on?" I was like, "What's up, man?" Like <laughs> they're like, "Look at the internet." And I was like, "Look." And it's like, "Thug arrested for." Yelling at t- terroristic yeah. threats, they said. Which, like, come on, man. He was, like, riding around on one of those little two-wheel things in the mall. On a and hoverboard. some guy told him to get off. And he was just like, I'll kill you. Or whatever. <laughs> Allegedly. He was probably like, get out of my face. And the dude was, I mean, he's, like, six four, And then he's standing on that thing. So he's, like, six seven. And, like, we probably just got scared. I mean, those guys have them, too, though. So I just like, that could have been a cool high-speed chase. Like, (laughs) like, just going through the mall, like, trying to catch them down. They got, like, the little three-wheel ones. They got their helmets on. Paul Blurt. Like, like, who would would listen to that guy? I wouldn't. They're like, get off. I'm like, nah, man. I just wouldn't get arrested because, you know, cops are racist. So, you know, throw that out there. Yeah. Sorry,
0: guys.
2: Speak your mind. I mean, he's in a nice area. Dressed like how he dresses. It's like, it's northern Atlanta. It's a very white neighborhood. And he's riding around on the thing, making a scene. I think he was a little targeted. I mean, I don't think that's like that crazy to say. It's a super like affluent neighborhood that he was in. Like,
0: I was just in Atlanta and, and you know, just from all the trap songs, I was yeah. like, oh, I need to check out Lenox Square Mall, right? Yeah,
2: it wasn't even in Lenox. It was in the north. It was in the,
0: oh, yeah. It was in like,
2: um, it was in the mall, like north of an even Atlanta, northern yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Lennox
0: is lit. Lennox say they don't care. Like you, oh, could, okay. uh, you could like ride those down the escalator. They wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got there, um, Young Thug was standing outside. Yeah, they of love the mall. It. Just, just like I see Quan there more than I see him anywhere else now. It's like I just run into him at Lennox. What is it with the, the Atlanta culture? You know, there's like everyone hanging out at that mall. You know, we got like Magic City. There's like these hubs, but they they're those places d- are great, <laughs> right? <laughs> Magic like, City is amazing. What do you want? It's an amazing <laughs> place to be. It's a friendly environment
2: where like the community hangs out and they enjoy entertainment,
0: adult entertainment. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm, you know, bring the whole family.
0: So you had, <laughs> so you had all the backups. Um yeah. luckily you and Which was before it was before the slime season, I think, is when they rated
2: like mm. right before it. Right. And like we were about to drop them, like so you got the files. I'm like, absolutely yeah, I have them. Like, i I because I have a safe and like everything, like every day I go home and I like back up my drive onto the drive on the safe, and, like lock it up, hide it again. And I I don't believe in one backup. I don't believe in two. I believe in three. Like the artist should have one, and you should have two. And like honestly, Skyfall wouldn't have existed without me doing that. Because Travis was like super protective of his files. Because like Kanye had just had a situation where like he had a leak from somebody stealing something, and and Travis was like, first day working there, he's like, "Do not save anything on your drive." I was like, "All right." <laughs> so that's it. And like I just I I knew. The risk I was taking, which is if something comes out and it's from me, like that's the end of my career. But I also knew that, like, we can't have one version of this. Like, this song is too good. We've, what if we lose it? And he went to like a restaurant and like somebody went to his car and grabbed his backpack when he was in the restaurant. And he hit me up. He's like, Do you have <laughs> the files? And I thought it was a test. <laughs> And I was like, Nah, Doug, I don't got no files. Like, no. Nah. He's like, no, no. Somebody went into my car and jacked my bag because they thought it was in, like, it was like a nice Louis bag or something. And like, they saw it through the window in the valet. And the valet probably left the car unlocked and like snatched it right up. And it took, they took his drives. And he, I was like, oh yeah, I have it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have it. He's like, yeah, can you send it? I was like, yeah, definitely. And like, that's when he like went in and like redid all the
0: vocals and like finished the song and like sent it back. And like. Was was he mad that you had done the backup though? I assume not. Clearly not. Clearly not.
2: Right? <laughs> not. There's a few songs on there that I was like that came out like um the one with Future and him that came out before that was on there. Like there's a few songs that like I had because it was we had been working for like two weeks or whatever. So I had like a, a good handful of songs that like would have never seen the light of day if I wasn't just like
0: quick little drag and drop. So it's three backups. That's the rule. Um, around in the different scene, places. In Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because,
2: yeah. like, your house burns down while you're away. Just, like, no, that's, like, literally how I think. <laughs> like, I'm, like, <laughs> what if my house burns down while I'm out? Like, I, like, literally have my backpack on me. I'm just, like, oh, no. Or, like, if I'm do, if I'm working on a project, i have, like, a flash drive or something. So, like, if everything goes wrong at the same time, I still have this.
0: Because just in case. That's just how you have to think when you engineer, I guess. So, around the same time period, it was uh, "Good Times" comes out. Um, uh, I learned something about how that beat was picked out, and and I I find this very interesting. So, can you tell the story of how the beat was discovered for this? Okay, so this is like during
2: we did "Good Times" during the Rich Gang sessions. But I knew that it couldn't go on the Rich Gang tape because it's Jamie XX, and that would be that would have been, I mean, I would have liked that, but I feel like he sent it. He sent the beat through 300 to me to be played for Thug, because Thug would only listen to beats that I picked for him to listen to. If somebody else picked the beat, he would be like, "Okay, cool," and then just like move on to go play pool or something in the lobby. And like, but if I played it for him, it would be like my co-sign. Like, I people would give like hundreds of beats a day. Especially doing the rich Gang stuff, and he'd be like, "Alex, what did you got for me? Like, what'd you pick?" And I'd have like them all marked like colors. Like red was like the best ones, and then, like yellow, and like I would just work my way down, and then like gray out whatever I picked. And um, I made one, one of them blue, which is good times, because they sent me a pack, and I was like, "What's this? And why does it say Jamie XX on it?" Because I'm a fan, obviously. And like, oh, he's making an album. Like, just see if he'll do it, maybe. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just even do it, maybe. And for the next two and a half months during the Rich Gang shit, the first thing I did every day when Thug walked through the door was play the Good Times Beat. And he was like not in that vibe. Like, I think we did that song the same day we did I'm a ride, which is like a super like trap song, like super aggressive. Like it was just not, it was like we weren't doing a lot of crossover stuff at that point. And he was just like. Man, why do you keep playing this beat? It's too happy. It's too happy. It's too happy. And like two and a half months go by, and he's like, I play it, and he's like, fine, <laughs> and like comes in and like raps on it, and like it's the first thing we do that day. And the one thing I'll say about it is they took my name out of it, like Jamie's people, because he says my name in the very beginning. I don't know if you know the song, but he says, and he's running up the money on these hoes. That line, he says, I got Alex in this bitch with me, and that's the second half of the line. And I guess, like, they didn't think it fit or whatever. They didn't think you fit. Yeah, they didn't think I fit. Had any place in the song. So, I mean, I'm not that mad about it. I just cry about it at night and stuff, so. (laughs) Because I was like, Jamie and Thug on the same song with my name on it. I was like, I'm going to frame the (laughs) waveform.
0: And then something amazing happens. Kanye comes calling. Oh yeah. It was like late last year and we were touring and they're
2: like, Alex, get in the car. I'm like, where are we going? Like, it's like middle of the day. Like we don't normally move until like 8 PM. Seems like, very impulsive. Yeah. Young thug. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's like, that's like, I mean, you always just like on your toes. Like you gotta be ready for anything all the time. But like, I think the late one of the, from the label labels like get in the van now. Like get everything you have and get in the van, we're going. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, Can't tell you. I'm like, I wish you would tell me. <laughs> because of the of the situations that you guys have gotten me into before. I just wish you would just say something, like, <laughs> throw something out there. And like, so we're in this car and we're going and we're driving and we're driving and we're driving. We get to this like neighborhood and it's got a gate. And they're like, we're here to see uh, Mr. West. And I said, Excuse me. I'm in the back, and I'm like taking pictures at this point. Like, I'm like trying <laughs> to, like I'm, like, I'm like, I'm going. Like, I'm, like, Snapchatting. I'm like, I'm going to Kanye's house. I'm his house, like, freaking out. And so we get to the house, like, sign all this paperwork or whatever. And then we go in, and he's got a, like, it's the house from, like, the TV show. Like it's, like, it's like the big courtyard, and they're still building everything. And, like, in the back, they have a studio. And Noah's there, and is ye's there, and that's it. It's me, BLB, the security, Doug. Doug's a girlfriend, Doug's daughter. And like the the mic's in the room, it's like super chill. They have like a big old TV, like nine one of those 90-inch LED screens, and like, like we're just chatting for the first couple hours and like playing music, and like Connie's like the nicest person I've ever met. And I was like kind of worried because like, you know, you've seen the rants or whatever. I was like, no, he's literally the nicest person. And then all we did was talk about movies and like well, I mean, we worked a lot too, but like we he put up like, oh, there will be blood and um, American Psycho, and like, we watched them on silent, and Thug had never seen them before, because like, it just never had come across him. And like, first of all, I had to narrate these movies because they were on silent, So like, which I've seen them enough to be able to do, and like, I was like, telling thug what's happening he's like man these movies are amazing and i'm like you should hear them like (laughs) (laughs) he's like they're even better when i'm my job is but like so we're just like running through tracks and like yeah he's like playing stuff he's like maybe maybe record on this maybe record on this maybe record on this and he pulls this one up and he's like maybe record on this over these vocals and like so thug does his vocals and it's a small part but like i got to work on a kanye album so like that's i if i recorded one word i'd be like credit Kanye West <laughs> like that's happening like 100% of the time like but yeah we I mean we were there for like 15 16 hours like just like working and working and working just like they pull up new beats and like Noah would like go in and like he'd record or I'd record me we jumping back and forth and Noah's like an amazing engineer and like has a crazy sense of timing too like like they're working off grid the whole time and he's like flying stuff and like it's all just like he knows what it looks like and it's like not me i'm not the tab the transient dude i'm like the okay let me build the grid and like move everything and like make sure it's perfect and then then i'll adjust it later to how i want it but like he's just like nope all right nope nope no, no, no. I'm like, oh, okay like i was just like watching and learning because like obviously he's he's I probably had to fly by the seat of his pants more than anybody with like that situation because like they're making albums and they're finishing them the day of and like it's the same situation it's just there's a lot more production going in with a
0: Kanye album than it is on, like, anything else. This is a good example, though, of the, the power of social media. And you are very good with social media. I'm all right. I think you got a fire. I'm hit or miss. Your Twitter's pretty fire. Um, but this is uh, emblematic of uh, kind of a new face of uh, the engineer now, mm-hmm. you know, because back in, in the 90s with rap, you would have Bob Power, you know, that would be, like, the only person that people could name, you know, at that time. But now, you know, everyone's got a Twitter. You know, you got Mixed by Ali. You've got, like, these kind of, like, star engineers. You know, you got, obviously, you mentioned before, uh, Mike Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're a part of this this kind of new wave. Yeah, I stuck in. Um, well, what I did, was like, when we were in the studio
2: all the time, I'm posting about what's going on. And I'm not, like, giving anything away. I don't ever do that. Don't ever say, this is a song we got coming. Don't ever claim anything. Like, I never did that. But I'm just, like, in the studio with Metro and Thug doing this, like, doing that. Like, and I'll post it away today or whatever. Like, oh, we had an amazing session. This And then, like, when people would post the songs, I would make them aware that I mix them, which is, like, obnoxious. But it worked because, like, Danny Glover came out, and I was, like, favoriting every single person that, like, Danny Glover. I was just, like, I got to, like, build some sort of other identity for myself through this, because this could all go away at any time, and it'd be cool if more people knew who I was. It'd be easier to get more work, because nobody really talks about the engineers being important. They're expendable at the end of the day. Like, if you're an annoying engineer, and even if you're really good at your job, but the artist doesn't want to sit around you, they'll just go get a worse engineer, and then pay a better mixer to fix it. Like. It's not how it should work, but, like, that's how it works. And so, like, in a world where, like, people are seeing you as kind of like, or at least, like, the labels and the general consensus is, like, they would do this for free because it's a great job and it's a lot of fun and, like, they get to be part of something and they're just the technical side when I look at it as, like, sculpting and, like, art and, like, so I wanted to kind of, like, make it known that that's how I view it and, like, slowly but surely it kind of like built like this like following or whatever and that's how I actually like, that's how I know Ali and I know Mike Dean now through that it's like all that like it just like I
0: don't know I feel like part of it has to do with you know things like genius and people getting really into the like minutia of all all these rap records and like wanting to be like oh I found out who like mixed this track yeah. before anybody else you know like Before it used to be in the 90s, it was like producers. We were starting to learn more about producers, but now it's like people they want to know every part of it. And, well, I know you mentioned Reddit. Before anything,
2: I offered, like, I was like, here's, I mixed Danny Glover. Sorry, after Danny Glover, I was like, I mixed Danny Glover. I'm like, if y'all have any music that you want me to hear, send it. And they sent, like, 600 songs, and I gave feedback on each and every song, and that, like, built, like, this, like, relationship between like me and like the fans where they felt like they can like communicate, you know, with somebody that was involved. It, maybe it wasn't the artist or the producer, but it was somebody that was involved. And the same thing happened with Kanye too, there was like, they saw that when I put them, when I put that like statement out there, they were like, oh shit, that's a person. There's a person behind that's affected more really than anybody else, because he can't go on tour to get that money back. like." Those are 150 mixes that I never got to get paid for or whatever. Like you know what I mean? Those that was like we did all the songs and I'm like I'm gonna be all right. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm gonna be able to charge a label for each and every mix of each and every song because eventually these will all come out. And it was like one day I woke up and I was like, whoop! There goes a year's worth of work. You know what I mean? Really two years worth of work. Like it's not all of it, but it was like enough of it. And I think like becoming a human. Instead of just like a name at at the bottom of credits was important, and also I wasn't getting credit because it it's mixtapes, so I felt like I had to say something all the time. I was like, "There's no um, all music for mixtapes, really. Like nobody really cares who like mixed like '19 um, and Boom,' and you know what I mean. Like nobody really cared, and like now it's on there because some fan did it and like they put they put the information up there. But like it's really like if it's not an official credit that a label posts. Like, I still don't have credit for bar to six because it's a mixtape and there's no physicals except for the vinyl, mm-hmm. which like who from all music is going to buy a bar to six vinyl and check for my credit. Like it just doesn't happen. So like I feel like reaching out and like solidifying like a name in a whole different arena, like helped a lot with that. Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to search me on the internet at all. So it'd be hard to find the guy that did all the all these songs. there's no Danny Glover credit. There's no there's no there's no rich gain credit. There's none of that. It doesn't exist. Which is a shame. And it should. It definitely should.
0: What do you think can help change that? Because it seems like it's kind of a rap thing where you have like these kind of like incorrect track listings and just like missing information has always been that way. I think engineers should stand up for themselves more. I think that's I mean when you're putting the track together like
2: I I know it's like Seth Furkin's futures guy. When he did uh Esco Terrestrial, his name's on the front of it. He stands up for himself. He's like, no, this isn't going to have credits. Like, I want my name mixed and mastered on the cover. And that's, like, the way that it has to go. I did it with Metro. I was like, Metro, can you just, like, throw something in there? Like, mix, executive or something. Like, put my name on this tape. And it's like, those little images get circulated forever. You know what I mean? And, like, that's going to be the closest you can get because there's no label pushing all music. There's no paperwork Usually, it's usually like a cash in hand situation or like the label or like the artist is paying you like off the books, you know? It's definitely not a label invoice where you can like prove, oh, I did this. You know what I mean? That didn't exist for like Rich Gang, the tour. Like, I was just like, Alex mixed it. And I was like, all right, fine, let's go. Let's just do this now. And then like it comes, comes around a year later. It's like, if I didn't like literally just like scream from the mountaintops that I mixed it, like nobody would know
0: anyway. But,
2: you know, it's just kind of how it is.
0: Well, you know, I really feel like that the sound of rap, it changes so fast. And I feel like so many rappers and producers, they faded away over time because their music never really evolved. Like, they just kept doing the same thing, same thing, and then they kind of fade out of the mainstream. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you keep the sound appealing to people who are already feeling it, but fresh enough to still be cutting edge? You know, like... How do you not stay stagnant you know I think like the second you start to feel
2: bored or like not in, like not inspired by it you just throw everything in the garbage you know what I mean like every little template I've had that I've mixed on where it started to feel like okay I've been doing this for too long so like get rid of all of my presets for any of my any of my delays anything like switch up the plugins do all that for me at least whatever it takes to to not be comfortable because comfort's like the death of crea- creation, anyway. Like, anytime you're comfortable, nothing good's happening. Personally, that's how I feel. Like, the second, like, and I, like, I'm always kind of on edge in the studio, and so is everybody else. So it's like, it just fosters that environment, I think, at least for Atlanta rap. You know, I don't know about pop music. Like, I don't know if maybe you want like that situation in like, you know, Katy Perry's room, but like, for me,
0: not, not in Young Thug's room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's a good way to start. Uh, Stop. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to Alex Tumay.
1: Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Academy. The Red Bull Music Academy is a world traveling series of music workshops and festivals. Almost every year since 1998, we've done the main Academy event in one city. Uh, The lecture you just heard, for instance, was from the Academy in Montreal. But we do events around the world throughout the year. And among other things, we've got an online radio station and an online magazine. In short, it's a lot of stuff, but it's all pretty cool, in my opinion anyway. If you want to find out more for yourself, you can check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com.